Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. On today's episode, I interview Carrie Jeffrey. She is an account executive for AudioEye, but what's really fascinating about Carrie is her career path into sales. When we look at it, she actually starts her career at 21 as a full-time mom. And in her first five years, she has four little boys. After those five years, she becomes a homeschool teacher. And for the next several years, she helps raise the family, run the house, and educate her four boys. After being a homeschool teacher, she then becomes a caregiver for her mother-in-law for the next five years. And it isn't until after these three different careers that she starts to explore outside and at 41 starts her sales career. Needless to say, it is quite a unique journey. We get to spend most of this conversation, we get into the unbelievable power of mindset, how she has learned to lean into hard things and how she has been able to question beliefs she's held most of her life, whether that's about her athletic ability, her career, or about her faith. And it's incredibly powerful as we talk through her incredible growth and transformation over the last six years. You guys are going to love this. There may be moments where you even shed tears, and I hope you enjoy getting to hear and learn from Carrie. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Carrie. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I'm so excited to have you. And I I think I may have told you this, but just in case I didn't, one of the reasons this whole podcast came to be is you. You're actually my muse for doing this. When we met a couple years ago at a conference and we were sitting at the same table and it was breakfast for women in sales and mm-hmm. you started telling me your background and your story hit me so deeply. And I was just so enthralled by it that it was the thing that stayed with me in the last few years while I was trying to figure out how to get reconnected to empowering women and empowering women in sales. And so anyways, you actually, for anyone that's listening, were kind of the muse for this whole thing coming to be was wanting to share incredible stories like yours. So a surprise. I don't know if I told you that. How cool is that? Like, I mean, really, I think I wrote my first blog because of you. You asked me to write a blog post about my story after we met. And up until that point, I really didn't feel like I had a story. I was just struggling and trying to figure things out. And I remember we were at this, uh, it was an outreach conference. Yep. And I'd gone with my sales coach, my sales mentor, um, Tom Stearns. And I made a point to sit at different tables, every meal, stuff like that, and interact with different people. And I went in there feeling like such an imposter because like all these sales leaders and people and, you know, I'd been a sales leader for about a year at that point and felt like so green. And I was so relieved after that conference because I realized nobody knows what they're doing. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all in some way faking it till we make it or just learning and growing. And I was like, oh, phew, like (laughs) the relief I'm telling you was real that I felt like I found my tribe. We're all in this together. And so that was a pivotal moment for me. And then meeting you and writing my story and starting to kind of track with other sales women, first of all, because I am all about those girls um, in sales and girls in tech and women in tech and things like that. So thank you. It was wonderful to meet you there and kind of get this journey started in many ways. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, and I feel like we just laid up a huge teaser for everyone. So, you know, that might be a really great place for us to start with kind of what you were talking about, you were a year into your sales leadership career when we met, but you were really only a couple years into your sales career. So will you give everyone a sense of kind of like leading up to, and then getting into sales, like what happened before you got into sales? And then how did you decide you were going to get into sales? Wow. That's like a whole life story before (laughs) I got into sales kind of thing, because I grew up in a very small remote town in Northern Ontario I am Canadian for all you podcast listeners out there, Um, and (laughs) we're good people. I grew up in this really small town, a very religious right group that was extremely conservative, extremely 
repressive regarding women and their role in society. And really, I grew up with the notion that women were the rulers of the roost. They were at home having children, raising children, teaching children. And that was really my bent and my goal in life was to get married. I remember I uh, used to sneak in romance novels, historical romance novels, Victoria Holt, so spicy, and read them and tuck them under my mattress so my dad and mom wouldn't find them at night. And, you know, so this idea of a a romance, a, a prince charming to come and take me away from it all, give me a beautiful life, children who would all be beautiful and perfect. And so that was really my life. I got married four days before I turned 21, found a wonderful guy and uh, quickly proceeded to have children. I have four sons, amazing sons who surprisingly are not perfect, but are wonderful in so many ways. And I began my career as a mother and a stay-at-home mom. I ended up taking care of my mother-in-law for five years as she was much older and required care I homeschooled my children for the first few years, thinking that this would be a really great idea. Hmm. I think I I certainly uh, feel so much empathy for all the COVID parents out there who are forced to help teach their children now. I mean, I made the choice and I think I would have made a different choice uh, looking back, but it is what it is. And so that was really my life. I was very active in my local church. But that was my bubble. Like, that was it. And I guess it was probably at six years ago, just a little over six years ago, my husband actually left corporate sales to start working in the nonprofit sector. And this just was a big life shift for our family. And uh, my youngest at the time was uh, going into grade eight. I was assuming that he was ready for mom to, you know, make her own mark and he could kind of manage himself, the poor babies of the family out there. So for me, that was when I started realizing I needed to go look for a full-time job. I had worked part-time in a bookstore um, because really I am a bookworm at heart, but I'm just like, what am I going to do? What is there for me? I had my one-year diploma in theological studies and all these job descriptions were looking for like four-year university degrees. I'm like, that's not me. And then, you know, no experience. I was 41 at the time, no corporate experience at all. And um, I guess for me, it was just a very challenging time because like, what am I good for? I mean, I can bake. I had a small baking business for a while. I baked wedding cakes, but you know, that doesn't really pay the bills either. So I think what I ended up doing, and I think I mentioned this to you earlier, Margaret, was just really kind of sitting with myself for a couple of weeks and saying, what am I about as a person? Like what makes me feel fulfilled as a woman, as a person, Uh, just to say, where should I focus my efforts at? Like, where should I be looking at? And um, I really kind of narrowed down a mission statement at that point to live my best life and help others build better lives. And I knew that whatever job that allowed me to do that would be what ticked my boxes at the end of the day. And at the time, I didn't really understand what living my best life meant. You know, I just had a very narrow view of life at that point. And so for me, that really, I wanted to stay close to home. I'm in a rural subdivision of uh, Toronto. I didn't want to travel into the big smoke, the big city at that point to understand the commuter life and things like that. And I found this great company a couple blocks away from my house, like a small software startup. And they were looking for somebody at the bottom level of sales. I think it was a sales associate assistant or something like that. Like it was... <laughs> the bare bottom of sales, uh, the sales ladder. And I thought, I think I could do that. But you know, I had no idea that's a software company, but it was a small company. They looked like they had a great culture. And I thought that's going to check my boxes. You know, they showed how they were a great place to work, winners and things like that. Small company, I think there were about 60, 65 people when I started. And I decided to apply. And you know, my really, really impressive resume did not surprisingly get an answer. I, I was calling, I was emailing back and nobody answered me like nothing. It was like crickets out there. I was like, what am I going to do? And that's when I realized the sales part of me that loves the thrill of the hunt. I actually wrote on a very creative cover letter, The Thrill of the Hunt. It's a lyrical poem based on Katy Perry's Got the Eye of the Tiger, You're Gonna Hear Me Roar. And I think I've combined it with another song. Anyways, did that to try to get noticed. And I found out that the hiring manager used to be a Starbucks barista. And so at the time, Starbucks was doing a beta with Twitter and you could tweet somebody a coffee. And I thought, well, what have I got to lose? Like, let's go for it. So I tweeted him a coffee. 
And I got a response like within five minutes, like, Hey, thanks. What's this for? And I'm like, I'd like a meeting, please. <laughs> and I got my meeting and he introduced me to my, the hiring manager at that point. And, you know, I was actually on a beach in Bali six weeks later when I got my job interview. I mean, it was my first time being out of North America. We were on a mission trip for my husband's work, getting over jet lag in Bali. And I got the job offer. Amazing. That was just the beginning of my new life in many ways. Gosh. It's so, inc- I mean, I would imagine anyone who's listening is having the same reaction that I had and I'm having it again, which is just this enormous sense of awe that it's the process that you went through when you realized that it was time to make a change and then honing in. And I love that you did a mission statement. I think that's so powerful to have that as a person as almost a guiding light of how mm-hmm. to make big decisions and then yes, clearly you are a very natural hunter with your with your very creative skills. That's amazing. Well, let me ask you this as far as, you know, getting into it. So, great, you got the job. Now you got to go do it, right? So, I know having known you that you ended up being incredibly successful, but maybe tell us a little bit about once you actually had to start walk us through like what was that experience like for you and kind of what was going through your mind? Oh my gosh. So starting at this company, yes, great culture, wonderful, but I was, you know, totally green when it comes to a tech stack or understanding technology, saw selling software, even from a research point of view, like, I mean, I'd never even used Excel, honestly. So it's just like coming in and just like mind blowing. The, the learning curve was through the roof. I was completely and utterly overwhelmed, just beside myself, overwhelmed thinking, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? Can I do this? Do I have what it takes? (laughs) And, you know, just kind of plodding along day by day, trying to learn, trying to sponge in as much as I could in that sales process. So just getting to work full time was such a big change. And then I realized, you know, and I was still doing everything that I had always been doing, like at home, like taking care of the pool, the yard, the house, getting everybody's lunches out the door, you know, making dinner, going grocery shopping, still doing my stuff that I did for my volunteer work. And, you know, looking back, I think, what was I, what was I crazy thinking that I could do it all, have it all kind of thing. And honestly, it was just looking back, I think it's one of the most exhausting (laughs) times in my life, even more when I had four boys under five years old kind of thing. And it really, I loved my job. I loved the people. Like it was such an eye-opening time. I've been in a very small, isolated bubble and to go out and work and meet such an amazing group of people. Like the women were incredible and empowered. And I was just looking at them like, wow, this is so cool. And the guys were very helpful. Like it was just such a great experience at work. But I think the biggest challenge for me as, as a woman, having all of this other stuff that I did in my life, along with having a full-time job, quickly became immensely challenging. And what I didn't realize, I was also very menopause at the time, and I didn't realize it. So I was also very angry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> my poor family, honestly. What people say, the work-life balance, I don't really believe that exists. Sometimes you have some things as priority and sometimes other things come in priority. And I think that's the balance in trying to know when to prioritize different things in your life. And so, you know, it's funny because fast forward to this summer, I finally got a housekeeper. I've been threatening my family for 10 years that I'm going to get a housekeeper. And I just thought, oh, I could do something better with the money. And my, you know, my husband say, well, we can do this with the money and stuff. And I finally got a housekeeper this summer. And I tell you, and any woman out there listening, like, just do it. It's worth the money 100% because it was just one more thing that I didn't have to think about. And uh, I wish if I could go back, that would be actually one of the things that I would do differently is like get a housekeeper and just get one thing off of my plate or make my children do more chores. I don't know. (laughs) Good luck to you out there. Right. Well, you know, you talked about when to prioritize and what to prioritize. How do you go about figuring out how to prioritize what needs to get done? Because obviously in this case, it was too much. But when you think about work-life balance, right, how do you go about approaching prioritization? 
think um, I learned a lot from uh, one of my sales mentors about uh, time management, and that really helped me to figure out what was my priorities. And he had a system was called the 12 week year. There's a book written about it, but you should just mm-hmm. find the blog and about really listing out, you know, what's my plan for this quarter for first the 12 weeks. Here's what I want to get done professionally. Here's what I want to get done personally and chart that out. And it can be on a Google doc, whatever. It doesn't have to be fancy. Some people can really get into it. I'm not, I'm like a bare bones kind of person in that term, but here's the bare minimum of what I absolutely need to do to hit my quota, to hit my number, whatever that is. And what I need to get done at home where I want to do, do I want to spend time with my husband every week? Yes, I do. We've been married 26 years. I still want to spend time with him every week. So outside of work. And that for me really helps me to prioritize exactly what it is that I need to do from a goal standpoint, Mm -hmm. but also making sure that I'm having fun and I'm building connection time because I don't know about you, Margaret, but I know that when I can get into something, I'm all in and I'm like blinders. Like if it's sales, like I can work 60, 70, 80 hours a week in sales and absolutely love it. And the rest of my life just takes a back seat. And sometimes you need to do that, like at end of year, end of quarter, but it's not a sustainable all year long, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So for me, using a system like that, also, I took my team through uh, James Clear book, Atomic Habits, about Mm -hmm. a year and a half ago. And really, that helps about talking about prioritizing and developing better habits. So those kinds of things, I think those are tools that I use to help me to figure out what to prioritize and when to prioritize those things. And that really, I think that really helps me. That's amazing. And so, oh my gosh, such great tips and advice and things to, to help. Cause that's definitely, I, you know, I see so much content around this topic around work-life balance and some people still claim you can have it. Most people are in your camp, which is like, it doesn't really exist. You just find what works for you and your mm-hmm. family, whatever that is. So I think this is really great as far as the people, I think, discovering what works best for them. And one other thing I wanted to ask you about when you were talking about this being one of the most stressful times, there's actually, there's actually two things. The first is how did you offload? Like you were doing, I mean, you were, you had two full-time jobs at that point. You were still very much a full-time mom and, you know, you were taking charge of all the things at the house and then you were also in a new job. So how did you offload or what did you do to get some of that workload off your plate or did you? (laughs) Great question. And I think the answer is, is I actually failed miserably at offloading to the point where I think I was very close to having just a complete and utter breakdown, like to say, to to tap out and say, I can't do this anymore. Something's got to give. And I didn't realize that the thing that had to give was me because I was very externally focused. Yes, my work is making me do this. My family is making me do this. My church is making me do this. And not realizing that I had to take ownership of my own life. And I, yeah. I'm, you know, like I mentioned, I'm a bookworm. I read this great book, Jocko Willink, Extreme Ownership. And uh, at the same time, I was also reading a book by Mark Devine on the unbeatable mind. And it was just literally stripping my excuses away from me that I had always, you know, made excuses about things or blamed other people or had a victim mentality about life happening to me. It was a wake up call for me. And I think the biggest thing that happened during that period of time where, you know, and I had been growing my career, I think at that point, I've been at 360, the company I was at for about three years. And, you know, over my course of five and a half years, I was promoted nine times. Like, so my career was doing very well. And I was experiencing different parts of the company. But at the same time, internally, I was having this crisis of saying, well, what am I doing? I mean, I, you know, I'm ready to lose it all kind of thing. And I discovered CrossFit and exercise. And I really had never had an exercise regimen. I was always a sick kid. I had asthma. And so that was always an excuse for not being able to do anything. And I was very uncoordinated, like, hello, non-athlete right here. <laughs> And, you know, I've had these boys who are marvelous athletes. My son, my husband was a star, you know, athlete in high school, all this stuff. Right. And, but I discovered CrossFit some of my friends at work had discovered it and were like talking about it. And if you, anybody out there is a CrossFit athlete or knows one, you know, they talk about CrossFit nonstop. And I was like, I want to be part of the cool kids. And I'm like, let me try this. And it was 
honestly the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole entire life. Like honestly, labor was easier for me than going to these CrossFit classes. And I remember once that coach there, you know, it was about a weekend and, um, and he said to me, you know, I said, I said to him, Justin, uh, coach, I, I don't think I can do this. Like, this is too hard for me. He said, I said, I'm not an athlete. And he just looked at me and I remember I was hanging on to these rings for dear life. And he says, Carrie, here, you're a CrossFit athlete. And it just changed my mindset. And I think for me, that was the breakthrough moment, my aha moment when I discovered that I could control my own destiny. But on the floor of the gym, figuring out how to do burpees, one after the other, or, you know, hitting my sales target, or figuring out how to manage my stress at home. And for me, that was a significant moment when, you know, the light bulb moment, the aha, where it's like, okay, Carrie, you can take back control of your life, you are responsible, you take ownership of what you're going to do, and what you're not going to do, and how to say no to things, and, you know, and how to figure out this whole 12 week year kind of idea and, and managing my time and things like that. So for me, that was the big pivot, I think, for me in realizing, no, I'm not going to, you know, have a complete breakdown. I'm going to change this around, you know, one change at a time. And from there, I started working with a nutritional coach. I lost 40 pounds and I started working with a life coach because I realized my thinking had to change. I just couldn't change my body, but I also had to change my mental game. And so those, that was like, you know, I think that was like two and a half years, three years ago. It was probably about a year before I met you, Margaret. And that was the pivot of my life to say, this is going to look different. Gosh, that's just so powerful. And what a incredible moment to like have that point of clarity where it's your choice and how powerful to get to realize that all of this is within your control because it comes down to your mindset. And I just, you know, I think what keeps coming up for me is like, you know, you're, you're such a curious person, you're an avid reader and you're a, a learner, but that part of this growth that you've had has come through your willingness to try new things. And, you know, you going and trying CrossFit and trying this new thing and it ending up being one of the most transformative experiences because it caused such a major mental shift. That's remarkable. Oh my gosh. And 40 pounds. Congratulations. That is a, a huge deal because you are not a big woman. And so 40 pounds, I can only imagine on your frame, like that is a significant thing. And I love the continuous investment in yourself and that you kind of took it, yes, with the books, but then I love that you invested in a life coach. And so again, I, this is this has come up quite a bit in these podcasts where these women like you that are ambitious and also very successful, they found ways to surround themselves with like a community, right? And it, it's mm. different for each person of how that's defined. But a lot of times there's a coach involved of some capacity. And so will you tell us a little bit about your experience of working with a life coach? Like, how did you find them? What, did, what was the, how, what's the experience been like? What's been the reason or have you been glad that you've done it? Absolutely. I think about, you know, when you think about a community around you and, and all those things, I think coaching, having a coaching community for me, you know, whether it's been the CrossFit coach or, um, you know, I worked very closely with the sales consultant. My boss had actually hired a sales consultant to work with me when I was early on in sales leadership, managing an SDR team. And I think that's such a critical component of success mm. for anyone to have that mindset that says, I am willing to be coached and then to have great coaches invested in your life. And, you know, like you mentioned, like I read a lot of books, I take action on books and stuff, but to have that next level, to have that coaching impact in my life and to be coachable mm -hmm. is a real skill that I had to learn because <laughs> I realized that my initial response to being coached was, well, what do you know? <laughs> like, sure. Oh, really? You think so? I think I'm no better than you. And then I realized, no, actually I don't because my life is pretty chaotic right now and I could use some help. <laughs> And I think so that was for me, you know, like working with a nutrition coach and realizing that what, what I thought was clean eating or good eating was actually not and realizing that I couldn't do it myself. I need a community. And I think that if there's one thing like you can't do it alone, you know, sometimes we think we can and I'm a person that kind of digs her head in, gets going goal oriented, like you said, very ambitious, but not realizing I need a community of people, a 
connections around me. And so for when I chose to work with a, a life coach, she was very specific life coach that I found through my work through somebody else who had used her kind of a referral process. And I just needed to sit and have somebody listen to me and talk. And she would just sit there and listen to me and say, I think you just needed to say that, need to hear yourself say that and process because, you know, and one of the things that I discovered about myself this year is that I'm a stress stuffer. And, you know, instead of processing things, I just tuck it in and think I'll deal with it later. And the later never comes. And so for me, working with the life coach was just to be able to just kind of explore, to talk, to be asked questions, you know, and I think for me, especially with my background, my religious background is you're always told what to think, always told what to feel. And even my, my sales leader, I would go to him with a question and wanting an answer to how to do something. And he would just turn it back around me, dang it, and ask me a bunch of questions. I'm like, I just want an answer. <laughs> and that made him a good sales leader because he kept digging. And I was like, damn it, I just want an answer. <laughs> Um, you know? <laughs> well, let's talk about the stress stuffer because I think this is such a, a big topic. And I think that almost pushing it aside, you know, making others a priority. It's really interesting. I just listened to a podcast with Brene Brown and the authors of a book called Burnout. And they talk about the completing the stress cycle. And one of the things they talk about is there's human givers and there's human beings and human givers tend to be predominantly females because just with society how we're raised is to think about others first and to put others ahead and so I think this is such an interesting concept of like this visual of being a stress sufferer so tell us about this because I'm curious you know you've kind of shared a little bit of working with the life coach has been really helpful in releasing that but tell us some of the strategies that you're using to help with recovering from your stress stuffing tendencies well, absolutely. And I think, you know, being a human giver, and I listened to that podcast as well, and it was very impactful earlier this year. You know, I've always thought of myself more of as a human doer. And then, <laughs> you know, thinking about as a human giver, and now trying to be a human being, you know, that's very three different states of being, honestly. And so for sure, being a, a human giver, being the peacemaker, trying to just keep peace at home, you know, when for boys, it's a lot of testosterone, of course, a husband, so five boys, lots of stuff happening and just trying to keep, uh, you know, I'm always about building bridges, you know, making those connections, doing no harm to relationships. And for me, even though I had learned strategies with my life coach a couple of years ago, you know, I kind of let it go. I'm like, I'm good. You know, I know what I'm doing now. And, and it's amazing how without that support, you kind of very easily fall back into old patterns. So my old patterns of, you know, peace at all costs, um, just keep doing, keep doing, keep doing, and everything will be fine. Don't express yourself because that just causes things to be worse. Like don't express anger or, you know, I found myself actually this year back totally stuffing stress, burned out of my mind. I had lost my job uh, second week into the isolation here in Ontario of COVID. My business was severely impacted and stressed out of my mind. Like just, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? My husband's been out of work for three months at that point. And so like stress through the roof, but, but I wasn't really thinking through that processing of the stress. And if anyone's listened to that podcast or read that book, one of the things that one of the tools is to use exercise to relieve stress. And so for me, because I'm extremely goal oriented, it's always just to get exercise to get to that level or that next PR of uh, lifting weight or, you know, getting that where I want my body to look in the mirror and not actually enjoying the process and not actually not using the process to heal me and to release stress and to be intentional about that. And that helped me so much to think about that when I'm doing deadlifts or throwing a barbell overhead and processing that stress and being intentional and connecting the mind to the movement. For me, that's part of connecting my mind to my heart mm. and uh, being able to process that kind of stress and, and work through it. And I, I actually started working with a therapist this summer. And he said to me, he says, Carrie, he said, uh, you know, we're talking about stress and things. He's like, yeah, do you think you're hard on yourself? I was like, no, I said, I think I hold myself up to very high standards. You know, if I'm going to hold other people to high standards, like a sales team, I have to hold myself to the same standards. And there was just silence. We were on a zoom call and he just looked at me through the zoom camera. Like really? I'm like, oh crap. I'm so hard on myself. Like I am so hard on myself. And so to me, 
trying to find out how to release those stress, how to take care of myself. What does self-care mean? It doesn't mean I allow myself to eat a bag of chips because it feels good. Have a chocolate bar because it makes me feel good. Mind you, it was always 70% chocolate. So that's, <laughs> that. um, you know, but what does that mean? And I was, I remember saying to one of my really good friends and uh, she's a CMO and so I, what does it mean to take care of your, like, what does self-care mean? Like that's sit on the couch. What is that? I didn't know what that meant. Mm. And uh, for me, like thinking about processing stress through movement, through 20 second hugs, I started making my husband hug me for 20 seconds. That's not awkward at all. <laughs> it's a lot longer than you think. <laughs> it's really long. And I'm like starting to do the old tap on the back, you know? <laughs> Oh Think my God. to just release stress and actually to really again goes back to that extreme ownership principle is why am I feeling the way I'm feeling what am I hiding what am I covering what am I you know procrastinating doing and so just to start being intentional to me so much is about what is your intention and sometimes that really hurts honestly Margaret sometimes it's really challenging I mean through this year I've kind of deconstructed my faith and my religious background a little bit quite a lot to be able to accommodate who I am as a woman and who I've been made to be and do, which didn't honestly line up with what I was taught and getting to be okay with embracing the person, the woman I am, that I am enough, I think is something. And I was wearing a bracelet this summer, you know, you are good enough. And it's such an eye roll for me. Like if I saw that on somebody else, but now I'm learning, like this is actually a process to being intentional about how I'm feeling, about what I'm thinking, and not just stuffing it away and tucking it for another time to deal with. Because I learned that I was actually really impacting my health in a very negative way, not sleeping and, um, and all those kinds of things associated with stress, feeling depressed, feeling you know just out of sorts all the time. So for me, that's adding that intention, not cutting myself slack um, in terms of not dealing with how I'm feeling. That's the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Oh, so many things you said, I know personally resonated so deeply and I know it will resonate with those listening. And we've kind of hit on this a couple of times and I want to actually take a minute and go into it, which is your religious upbringing. And then so much of what you've learned in the last few years, because you as a person have gone through what sounds like quite an accelerated growth and how you view the world and how you understand yourself. And like you just mentioned, in some ways, what you are learning is in conflict with what you were taught. And I can only imagine when things that we fundamentally believe to be true is challenged or changed, that can be really disorienting because it's the foundation of which everything we thought we built on, it's now rocky. It's no longer there. So will you tell us a little bit about this journey that you're on right now and this kind of reevaluation of your faith and, you know, kind of how you're looking at now mm. versus before? I know that's a big question. <laughs> it's a, it is a big question. I think in so many ways, and because I fall naturally into leadership, I'm the oldest of eight children. Part of my, whatever I've always done, I end up being the leader of it, whether it's a facilitation group, whether it's a volunteer, it's just something that I come into naturally. And I remember often in church, because women weren't um, given that leadership role in the, and, and I'm not painting a broad stroke here about all religion, it's just the way, a very small sect of how I grew up and uh, what was truth to me at the time. And so women weren't leaders. And so for me, anytime I tried to do anything in the church, I would always rise to leadership or doing something. And it was always shut down in vicious ways often. And it was just so soul damaging because I was like, you know, part of my faith is in a God that has a purpose and plan for his creation. And I'm like, why well, should have been a boy? Like, would have been so much easier if I was a man, I could actually do what I want to do, which was lead people, um, which was teach and uh, mentor and things like that in a corporate faith structure. And, and when I realized that wasn't a path for me, probably just within the last 10 years, really, and realizing that was not an avenue for me. And I think for me, you know, and understanding that it's not bad to question those things that you've always believed or taken for granted and to question and to understand, not in a way to throw out the baby with the bathwater, as they say, 
but to really kind of take out what is meaningful to you, what is significant, what works, and be able to be okay with having some unanswered questions. You know, that it doesn't always have to be an all or nothing approach to me, especially in faith. And I think that's part of the definition of faith is believing in what is unseen and some of what is unknowable in some ways. And so that's been a real process for me uh, this year to kind of let go because it was so much in me. And you were so right. It's been, it's shaken me up to my very core at so many levels. And, and I think to be able to make peace with certain aspects and let go of other aspects of my faith and religion to say that no longer serves me. Mm-hmm. Um, what does serve me and what, and to understand what no longer serves me and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, that's been the biggest lesson, especially this year to say, you know what, if it doesn't truly serve you, if it doesn't line up with truth and what you know to be truth about who you are and you know, who the source of your religion for me, it's God is, if it doesn't line up with that, then it doesn't serve you. Right. Oh, my, uh, it's hard not to like get tears in my eyes when you talk about, even as a girl wishing you were a boy, so you could do the things that you wanted to do. I think that is just so heartbreaking because it's, it's real and it's, it happens. And, and I can only imagine you know, that there was this whole side of you that just kind of was hidden for so long, that just kind of stayed dormant, that wanted to come out. And thank God it has come out. But what's hitting me is that, you know, I'm always so enamored with stories where it's like, it maybe isn't on a timeline that all of us would want Mm. it to be on, right? Like in an ideal scenario, this this would have been, you know, when you were asking and reaching for those positions and yeah, you face adversity in your life, but you still get a a shot at the things that you are feeling called to do. Mm. And what's beautiful is like, yes, it was 41 when you finally started to (laughs) pursue sales and then get into leadership roles. But you found it right like this side of you eventually found its way to where it was meant to be and I think there's almost a peacefulness about that of like if you keep staying open and you keep learning and listening that you'll find your way you know and the timeline you know just you don't necessarily get to dictate that timeline but anyways I don't know that's kind of what's hitting me about this and I just oh again I think it shows your strength so much that you you didn't lose that side of yourself, right? She maybe didn't always get to come out, but that it never really fully ever went away, which is such a beautiful thing. And Mm -hmm. I would imagine you've transformed quite a bit. Not everyone around you has. How are you dealing with, you know, relationships where you see things very differently, or maybe you're just kind of evaluating information differently? How has that shifted or impacted relationships? Because I'd imagine it's a pretty significant transformation that not everyone is able to go on that journey with you. Yeah. I think that's where kind of wisdom plays a part in, Mm -hmm. you know, it'd be nice if everybody welcomed it the same way that it's been welcomed by you or other women sales professionals, or even my sales leaders, but that's not my reality. And I think it's not the reality for a lot of people and, you know, having the grace with folks to realize that everybody's not where you are. Everybody is not on the same journey as you, but they are on a journey. And to be okay with that with other people, especially people closest to you. And I think that was, it's another thing that I'm learning this year, you know, uh, spending so much time with my husband and my sons uh, in isolation, quarantine in a small house. We downsized a couple of years ago thinking, hey, this is a great time to downsize. (laughs) Nope. You know, that... That just because everybody's not tracking with you doesn't discredit your own story and it doesn't discredit theirs. Mm-hmm. And for a while, that was a big stressor in my life. Like, why can't you get on the same page as me? Whether it's my husband, whether it's other people in my family. And I was just like, why? And it was just causing so much anger that I didn't realize that that was part of my, you know, stuffing syndrome. And I think for me, that's the biggest thing is just acceptance, acceptance of other people. But at the end of the day, not letting that sidetrack my journey and where I'm going and the growth mindset that I've learned to embrace. 
And I think for me, that's the most significant thing. I mean, I think uh, last year, I think it was last year, I got a, a promotion at work. And one of my sons away in university sent me these amazing texts. Just, mom, you're my hero. I can't imagine what you've done. I thank you for this. I mean, I have saved screenshots of that, those and downloaded them that I never forget them because he was 20 at the time. And he kind of think oblivious to most of the world and everything else, but wrote this most insightful series of texts about how he, that I am seen by him. Mm. And it was incredible to recognize that, you know what, your kids are watching, the world is watching kind of thing. And, you know, you are making an impact even when you don't realize it. And to me, that's so significant of living my journey and embracing my journey and continuing this growth mindset because there are others watching. And even if, like you said, you can't uh, dictate the timing of when this all happens and I'm still learning and I'm, I'm on a growth curve and uh, loving it. And I hope I stay on this growth curve into my nineties, maybe even my hundreds. <laughs> if, uh, if I keep up the fitness. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. I think that's so beautiful. And you said it so well of the wisdom. And I think it, it kind of goes back to this idea of the control, you know, and you control yourself and your mindset, but you don't control other people. And mm -hmm. so that acceptance of where they're at is almost a relinquishing of control of like, I can't tell you what to think or how to feel or where you're at. Like, I just have to accept you exactly where you are right in this moment in time. And I think there's, there's such beauty. And like you said, there's wisdom in doing that. Well, as a recovering control freak, uh, this is a key part of my growth. <laughs> well, you know, I think, Carrie, what's, what I love about this conversation and what I hope people listening are picking up on is, you know, you, you mentioned growth mindset. And I think that that book with Carol Dweck, Mindset, is where she talks about mm. growth versus fixed. And, I, you know, that book really, again, kind of shook me a little bit because I realized I was very growth in some aspects of my life and severely fixed in others. And what I think is really incredible about what you've shared is that almost every single thing you've had to shift into a, you've shifted your mindset. And some of them are very difficult, seemingly fundamental things. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not an athlete, right? It's something you'd believed your whole life, you know? And so if I yeah. able to shift that, you know, even with religion, deciding what you want to take with you and what you choose to let go. And so I think what's really beautiful is you are this walking example of the power of what happens when you're open and willing to change your mindset and that really anything can change if you want it to change, if you prioritize it, if you focus on it, if you give it enough time and energy. And even like you said, being a recovering control freak, right? I think so many of us can relate to that. And I think, I think anybody who is a control freak doesn't really want to be because it is such a cause of stress. It's so, so exhausting. Yeah, it really is. So I, I think it's just been so neat to get to hear all these different experiences that you've had. And time and time again, you, you are role modeling this behavior that this growth and this change and this, you know, it stems from you. Well, I think that's really cute what you said about being a role model, because I look at this group of women in sales and the people who are listening to this podcast and so many podcasts like Lori Richardson's Women in Sales Professional, you know, what Hashtag Girls Club is doing for women in sales leadership and things like this. Like, it's just such an important part. And I've been mentoring young women for 15 years. And my goal, like I, right now I have uh, my sons and their, their girlfriends. We did a book club this fall and I had them read, we read together The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. And, you know, I think part of that for me is really modeling, not only modeling this, but enabling and empowering other women, older or younger, or my age, which isn't that ancient, um, nope, but really not. to empower them to, you know, especially these young women, that my ceiling is their floor. Like there's so much. And I really want to be very intentional about how I do that, where I put my focus to, because it's, I love my job. I love my sales. I love the company I'm working for now. It's an incredibly meaningful company and working in the digital accessibility space, working, you know, to alleviate the 
problems for the largest minority group in the world, and that's people with disabilities. Like in North America, one in four people identify as having a disability. And if I can help make their lives a little bit better, that definitely falls into that mission statement of mine. But it also gives me a platform to be able to speak to so many people, especially as a woman who has been marginal my entire life, and to have that voice and have that platform so that other women do not have to experience that and can actually go way further than I ever will. And that's not to say I'm not going far because <laughs> I have plans. <laughs> but I think that's for me, Margaret, is really, that's really for me the crux of it is like, how do we raise and release women in tech? That's where my focus is in tech, but also in the broader context, whether that's your faith culture or wherever that might be to raise and release women. And my new, my beautiful new daughter-in-law, I call her, I got a daughter-in-law this summer. Finally, after 22 years, I got a girl. <laughs> um, and she's an architect. She's an architect and she identifies as indigenous. She's a quarter indigenous. And she is by far the minority in her group of architect and stuff like that. And to see her be bold and grow in a, in, in a career and start her career, like I want to be the wind beneath her wings. That's such a cheesy statement, but honestly, that's how I feel. And about other women in sales and, and, and women in my network, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I just think that's so, so great. And they are so lucky to have you. And I love that you did a book club with your son's girlfriends and now a wife. I just, that's so amazing. So as we kind of wind down on time here, I have two kind of quick questions. Oh the first one is, okay, so you've mentioned so many great books on this call. What are you currently reading? Last year, I read, my goal was to read five books a month. And I think I read like probably 80 books over last year. This oh year, I gosh. well double that. Hello, hashtag COVID. Well, not all of them are hardcore, you know, like sales professional books. Some of them really? are just pure entertainment. I'm a big uh, Tom Clancy fan. Nice. Um, okay. Uh, spy, thriller, espionage. That's my like entertainment because I don't really watch TV. But right now I'm reading for sales. I'm reading uh, David Premer's book, Sell the Way You Buy. Mm-hmm. It's all about... Uh, you know, understanding how we buy as people and empathy uh, as buyers and selling that, selling that way. So combining science with empathy and emotional intelligence to sell better. So that's what I'm reading right now. And that's, I usually read those hardcover or, you know, hard copy, I should say, because I like to underline and highlight and all those things. So that's what I'm reading right now. I tried the Nook for a while and I just like holding books in my hand. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. And audiobooks, my, you know, I, I call it shiny object syndrome. I get distracted <laughs> so easily. Podcasts are great, but books, nope, can't do it. So, okay, that I love that. Do you have a favorite Tom Clancy book since you're a Tom Clancy fan? Uh, well, I think my first was The Hunt for Red October. And it actually it. took me a while to read because Tom, the, the original Tom Clancy novels, he's passed since, but were over 500 pages. And it would actually take me at least a week to get through it. Oh, so anything less, I can get through in a few hours, right? So it's Holy worth smokes. it to buy, you know, a $34.99 hardcover when it comes out and it actually takes you a whole week to read it. <laughs> you are a beast reader. Oh my gosh. A week. That's like, that's fast for me. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. And then, so second question, this one's a little bit deeper and and you've shared so much already on this call, but usually what I ask everyone is as you look back, either a piece of advice that somebody has given you that has profoundly impacted you and something you would want to tell any and everyone or something that you've learned over time that if you were to go back and tell a younger version of you, this would be the thing that you would want her to know. What would that advice or learning be? I, I kind of alluded it to, to it earlier, but I think if I could go back and tell my, when I think of myself as 17, considering my university choices and being scared out of my gourd to go to a real life big university, I would tell myself do hard things. Mm. If it's hard, go towards that instead of running away from it. And uh, not go to the things that are known, safe, because there isn't much growth to be found there. And I know that since I've been on this journey of growth and growth mindset, I would not change a thing because I've learned so much. I wish I would have learned faster 
<laughs> but I think for me, uh, you know, doing hard things has served me incredibly well. And doing hard things sometimes means doing it scared. It means mm-hmm. you fail sometimes. And that's okay, because that means you tried. And I think that for me, that's what I would say is go towards those hard things, those challenging things, those overwhelming things, like do it, just go for it, do hard things. And it's incredible, the growth that comes out of that, the learnings that come out of that success or fail, that come out of that willingness to do hard things. It puts you in a position of being coachable. It puts you in a position of um, goal setting and you know, whether that's, I think it applies to everything, even in a relationship, because I mean, you've been married 10 years, I've been married 26 and being willing to do hard things when sometimes it would be easier to walk away or just say, I'm done. Mm -hmm. You have to have that mindset that says, you know what? I can do hard things. And it often comes back to, (laughs) to me, you know, giving birth to four sons and saying, if I could do that, I can do anything. Right. So that's for me, I think, you know, whether that's my daughter-in-law starting out in architecture or whatever that might be, or my old 17-year-old self, it's like that, do hard things. I think that's great because it allows space and it encourages this idea of whatever happens, you're going to get something valuable from it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's beauty in being on the other side of having done hard things that you have that knowledge and the more, the more you do them. Like, I don't think it ever gets easier to start them, but you at least know that good will come from it and you get smarter each time about how you go about doing things because it's a habit. It's a muscle you develop. And I, I love that. I think that's so great. And uh, yes, I think sometimes the thing that scares us the most is the thing we should be running towards. Mm-hmm. You bet. Carrie, I just, oh, it has just been such a treat getting to reconnect with you and I just have loved everything that you've shared. Thank you for being so open. And I I know that, again, people listening, you struck so many chords with me as we were going through this. And I know just through you, again, opening up, sharing your story, allowing others to connect to you, that this will be very impactful for those that are listening. So thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for saying yes. Uh, (laughs) And we'll have to bring you back and keep track of how you're doing and where you're at and where are you now kind of podcast. (laughs) Well, I definitely appreciate the uh, opportunity, Margaret. Always a pleasure. And if any of the listeners wanted to connect with me on LinkedIn, I am always happy to increase my network and to help my network and uh, just to be, just to get to know more people and more great women in sales and beyond. So thank you so, so much for this opportunity. It's been awesome. Awesome. What a great conversation with Carrie and what a remarkable story. I hope you enjoyed that. If you're new to Rising Tide, I hope you'll take a minute to check out some of our other incredible conversations with other amazing women who are doing big things. If you want to stay connected with us, be sure to subscribe for the podcast. We release new episodes every single week. And if you want to follow along with us on social, you can follow us on Instagram at Rising Tide Podcast. Last thing, if you or a woman in your life you know would be a great guest, I would love for you to reach out, shoot us a DM on Instagram and look forward to talking with you. See you next week.